Brothers and sisters, we come now to God's Word. We're continuing on in the Gospel of Luke. Finishing up Luke chapter 6 this morning. We'll be reading Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 49. You can find that on page 1025 in the Pew Bible in front of you. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 49. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into the pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck out of, that is in your own eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that, it, that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from the, a, bam, a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them it's like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray together. Father, I pray that these words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. One of Benjamin's favorite gifts from this past Christmas was a, a big box of costumes that he got from his grandparents. He loves it. There's a, there's a pirate costume, and a, a doctor costume, and a Star Wars costume, and a ninja costume. When, all the, when his friends come over from church, they go, go right into the playroom, and they dump out that, that costume box, and they just go to town. 
It's funny because over time, the costumes have started morphing and becoming interchangeable. So you'll see a kid running around as a ninja doctor. <laughs> or, or a Mandalorian with a pirate sword. It's a, it's a funny thing to look at. And the kids don't care. They're just having fun because they enjoy putting on those disguises, putting on those costumes and playing pretend. But you know, playing pretend isn't just a children's game, is it? Isn't it the case that you and I, as adults, play this game as well? Especially within the church. Where week after week, we gather in this place. Perhaps we gather in homes throughout the area. We put on our masks. We put on our disguises. And we pretend to be something that we are not. Perhaps you're pretending to be holier than you actually are. Perhaps you're pretending to be more spiritual than you actually are. Perhaps you're pretending that your family is perfect. Perhaps that you're just, you're just pretending to be happy. To cover up the, the sorrow and the pain inside. Or perhaps worse yet, you're coming here pretending to believe in Jesus Christ when you know that in your heart of hearts you have no true faith. So often within the church, we are so afraid of people knowing us for who we truly are and not loving us, that we settle. We settle for people loving us without ever truly knowing who we really are. Friends, if you're here this morning and this describes you, I want you to hear that your pretending does not surprise Jesus. I want you to hear the blessed good news that there is hope. Because in this passage, as Christ wraps up this sermon to his disciples, remember, he's talking to his disciples here. As Christ wraps up this sermon to his disciples, he speaks directly into the reality that many of those gathered around him, many of his so-called followers, were just playing pretend. These are words of immense love. Because the most unloving thing that Jesus could ever do to us would be to just leave us in our games and to just leave us in our pretending. And friends, Jesus loves us way too much for that. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been coming here for ages. You've been putting on that mask. You've been playing pretend and you've, and you've always wondered, is this it? Is this what it means to be a Christian? I feel like a fake. I, I'm tired of pretending. Would somebody please tell me what it actually looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? How can I tell? That is what Jesus instructs us on here in this passage. Praise God, he does not leave us in our pretending. He tells us the truth about what it actually means to follow him. 
how we can actually tell if we are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Two ways. First, you need to look at your heart. And second, you need to look at your foundation. So first, look at your heart. If you look back at verses 37 to 39 with me for a moment, it says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. It used to be that John 3.16 was the most popular and the most well-known Bible verse in America. But not anymore. Anyone care to guess what verse has replaced it? Luke 6.37 Judge not, and you will not be judged. This verse is perhaps now the most well-known and the most misunderstood Bible verse of our time. It's used to justify all sorts of sinful behavior. You see, Jesus told you not to judge. You can't judge me. Now, of course, what Jesus is not doing here is condoning sin. He's not somehow telling his followers, his disciples, that they don't need to have moral standards in accordance with God's law. No, what Jesus is doing here is getting at the heart of his followers. And what he's, condone, what he's condemning in the heart of his followers is not their moral standards, but their judgmentalism. Now here's the difference between moral standards and judgmentalism. Christians with a biblical moral standard can and should and will still have hearts that are filled with grace and mercy. Followers of Jesus Christ are gracious and merciful because they have been shown abundant grace and mercy. As Christ said in the preceding passage, it flows into this passage, we are to be merciful because our Father in heaven is merciful. One of the key markers of judgmentalism, on the other hand, is that it is graceless and merciless. It dehumanizes people and reduces them and turns them into objects of judgment and scrutiny. And this is the case because so often judgmental people are often the most insecure and the most hypocritical among us. Judgmental people are so often reacting so strongly to, to the sin that they see in others as a way of overcompensating for the sin that they know is in their own hearts. Think of David's reaction to Nathan the prophet when Nathan came and told him that story about the rich man who stole the poor man's lamb, the lamb that he loved. How did David react? The man who would just condemn another man to die, how did David react? With judgment and condemnation. He showed no mercy. He said to Nathan, 
As the Lord lives, this man deserves to die. And what did Nathan say next? Do you remember? What did Nathan say next to David? You are that man. Brothers and sisters, following Jesus Christ means understanding and living out of the reality, living out of the fact that you are that man and you are that woman. That is why you do not judge. That is why you do not condemn. That is why you forgive. Because you realize that you have in your heart the root of each and every sin that you could ever find in others. You may not murder, but you hate. Perhaps you're even angry at someone right now in the pew. You may not commit adultery, but the Lord knows where your mind goes. The Lord knows where your eyes go. You lust after others in your heart. You may not curse. You may not use foul language. But in your hearts and in in your private conversations, you cut others down and you slander them and you gossip behind their back. We have in our hearts the root of each and every sin that we could ever find in others. And this realization, brothers and sisters, should lead you to treat others with mercy. For our Father has been merciful and gracious to us in Christ. Christian, God has been abundantly gracious to you, hasn't He? This is what Christ means when He speaks of Giving, giving graciously in verse 38. The image that he uses there is of a, of a jar of grain that was sold at the market. And instead of just filling up the grain and, and leaving pockets of air, the gracious giver pushed it down and, and shook it out to make sure every single bit of that jar was full. And then, as if that wasn't enough, he continued to pour on the grain so that it's overflowing. This is how God has lavished his grace upon you. This is how he has loved you. Do you love others the same way? Are you a gracious and a generous person? Are you generous with your time, with your money, with your words, with your judgments, with your home? Or are you calculating and miserly? How do you treat those whom you have just a little bit of power over? Your children, your employees. Are you gracious and generous to them? Or are you overbearing, controlling, graceless, always making sure that they know that you are in control, that you are in charge, and that they need to meet your standard? Whether or not you treat others with grace, brothers and sisters, it reveals your heart. 
It reveals whether or not you've truly experienced the grace of God, whether or not you're truly living as a disciple. Friend, understand that the measure that you use with others, as Christ says here, will be measured back to you. And Christ not only instructs us here on the heart of a follower, he demonstrates it to us in his heart towards us. That's what he means when he tells this parable, when he speaks of the blind man leading the blind man and, and a disciple being like his teacher. Following Christ means becoming like Christ. The grace of Christ, that overabundant grace, should transform us into a people who are like our teacher. Unless we follow in Christ's footsteps, unless we seek to embody his mercy and his grace, unless we see with those eyes of faith, we will be just like a blind man leading a blind man into a pit. We'll be hopeless. We'll be aimless. And so we look to Christ. And we seek to embody His love, His grace, and His mercy. And we desire and we pray for our hearts to be like Christ's heart. That we would see others the way that He sees them. Now how do you get a heart like that? Maybe you're here and you've been convicted of your judgmentalism and hypocrisy and, and you want a different heart towards others. Christ shows us the way in verses 41 and 42. Where he says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out of the speck that is in your, that your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. A heart of grace and mercy. A heart like Christ. Is found in a heart of repentance. A heart like this is found when we take a good, long look at ourselves in the mirror of God's Word and seeing our sin for what it is, we turn to Christ in repentance and faith. If we are not a people who are consistently considering and repenting of our sins against one another and against God, we will always be meticulously focused on the speck that is in our brother's eye. And we will miss the log that is in our own. And we will continue to hypocritically pretend that we are something that we are not. So Christian, are you diligent and perhaps do you find great joy in noticing and illuminating and exposing the sins of others. Look what he did. Look what she said. Look what they're doing. Look at this sinful world out here. I'm so glad I'm not like them. Perhaps are you negligent and slothful 
in your repentance over your own sin. That is not the heart of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let this passage call you to repentance for your judgmentalism and hypocrisy. Take that log out of your own eye and run to Christ your Savior. But there is one more characteristic of a heart of a true disciple of Jesus Christ, and we find it in verses 43 through 45, where he speaks of fruit. For there is no good tree that bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart of a true disciple is a heart that bears fruit. There is a great significance to the metaphor that Christ uses here. It's a, a metaphor that he uses often. Jesus compares the heart of a true disciple to a tree. When a fruit-bearing tree is alive and healthy, it bears good fruit. When a tree is unhealthy or dead, it, it produces no fruit or unhealthy fruit. Friends, if you are in Christ, and His Holy Spirit is at work in, in your hearts, you will be producing fruit as you seek to follow Him. As Paul writes in Galatians 5.23, what is this fruit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now you will not perfectly embody these qualities. No one will. But do they, by and large, characterize you as a Christian? Has the Spirit of Christ at work in you made you a more loving, patient, peaceful, kinder, and gentle person? This is what God intends to do in us as His people. And He intends to do it in us by His grace and by the power of His Spirit. And so try as you may, you cannot fake it. You see, as Christ said, your heart is like a tree. If it's dead, and it's not producing fruit, you cannot just staple fruit to it to make it alive. It won't work. You need God's grace working in you by His Holy Spirit. Last year I told a story about a, a dead tree in the parsonage front lawn. Guess what? The tree is still dead. It didn't magically come back to life over the winter. In fact, as I looked out at it this past week, it's now a stump. We've cut it down and now it's just a dead stump of a tree. How ridiculous would it be for me to take a staple gun and go out with some leaves and just start stapling leaves onto a dead stump in order to try to make it alive? It would never work. We need God's grace and mercy working in our lives through His Spirit. Friends, don't try to pretend that your heart is alive when it is not. Be honest. Ask Christ for a new heart 
And Christian, if you sense that your heart is failing and faltering and growing cold, ask Christ to revive it. A true follower of Jesus Christ is one who has a heart of grace and mercy, a heart like Christ, a heart of repentance, and a heart that bears fruit. Only by God's grace, working in us by the power of His Spirit. So how can you tell if you're truly a disciple of Jesus Christ? First, you need to look at your heart. And second, you need to look at your foundation. Christ ends this sermon here with perhaps the most difficult words in the entire Gospel of Luke. Words that challenge his disciples to take very careful stock of where they have laid their foundation. The section begins with verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? One commentator on this passage notes that the repetition of a name in the Bible, especially within Hebrew culture, the repetition of a name like this, it implies a certain level of intimacy. So when Christ asks his disciples, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Essentially, he's asking them, why are you pretending to be close to me when clearly you are not? Why are you pretending to know me when you will not even do what I tell you? I wish there was a way to sugarcoat this for you, but there is not. There are some within the church, within our church even, who are pretending to know Jesus and they do not. That's what's implied from this passage here. There are some within the church who pretend to know Jesus and they do not. They come in here in their disguise. They sing the songs, pray the prayers, say all the right religious things. But they know not Christ. And to them, Christ will say on the last day what he says in the expanded version of this very sermon in Matthew 7, 23. I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Friends, if we try to stand on the foundation of our efforts, if we try to stand on the foundation of our empty, tired, religious pretending, we will fall. And I'll say more about that in a minute. But you need to hear this first. That the only foundation that we can stand on, the only solid rock to be found in this world is Jesus Christ. So do you know him? Are you standing on him? Or are you standing on your own? How can you tell? 
Isn't that an important question to ask? <laughs> How can you tell if you truly know Christ? Verse 47 through 48. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Those who truly know Christ and are standing on Him are those who have come to Him, heard His words, and obeyed them. And no, this is not a description of cold, legal obedience. This is a description of saving faith. As Paul instructs us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We come to know Christ by hearing his word. By hearing the good news of the gospel. And not just hearing it. By coming to him in simple faith. Now to come to him we must see our sin for what it is. And see his all sufficient sacrifice on the cross is our only hope for our forgiveness. We repent. And we transfer our trust from ourselves. We transfer our trust from our hypocrisy, we transfer our trust from our tired religious pretending and on to Christ. And by His Spirit, He regenerates us and gives us new living hearts. This is how we come to truly know Him. This is true obedience. Not pretending to be something that we're not, not playing religious games. True knowledge, true obedience begins and ends with simple faith in Jesus Christ. As Christ himself said in John 6, 28-29, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So friend, beloved, do you know Christ? Have you, come in him, have you come to Him in faith? If perhaps you're an adult that has been attending here your whole life, or maybe you're a young adult, or maybe you're a youth, or maybe you've just been attending here for a short amount of time, no matter how long you've been here, have you made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ? What are you waiting for? Don't hear the word of Christ and fail to do what it says. With the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. That's Romans 10.10. 10. This is how you stand on Christ the solid rock. Faith alone. But not faith that is alone. A living faith. 
that results in a transformed heart and the fruit that we see described in this passage. So are you seeking to live out of that faith, Christian, by obeying the word of Christ? Are you seeking by the Spirit to be more and more conformed to the image of Christ? Do you see your life bearing fruit, bearing the fruit of God's Holy Spirit at work in you? If so, you are like a man who has built a house and laid the foundation on the rock. When the water comes and you are tested, you will not be shaken. You will stand, for you stand on Christ. But rather, if you've simply heard the word of Christ and received it vainly, if you've heard the word of Christ and not done them, your house has no foundation. And so when the testing comes, when the waters come, when the last day comes, you will fall because you stand on your own. Friends, is Christ your foundation? Is Christ your foundation? He knows your heart. You cannot pretend with him. The wind and the waves will come. And in that day, the test will not be. Did you show up to church? Did you go to Sunday school? Did you go to Christian school? Did you serve? How much did you tithe? No, the test will be, do you stand on Christ, the solid rock of your salvation? You see, the two houses that Christ describes here, do you notice that they look exactly the same as one another? Christ gives no alternative description for the look of the two different houses. They look the same. The only difference is the foundation. It doesn't matter if you've hung around here your entire life playing pretend, trying to look the same as everybody else. You can look the same as everybody else for your entire life. Is Christ and his gospel the foundation of your life? Friends, this is a hard passage of Scripture. It's a hard passage to receive. I can see it on your faces. It's a hard passage to preach. I promise you that. But I am convinced with all my heart and all my soul that this passage is God's mercy to us. Because I say, as I said before, to begin this sermon, the most unloving thing that Jesus could ever do to us is to just leave us in our pretending and Jesus loves us way too much for that. Because one way or the other, we will be found out. The masks will come off. We will be found out. Here's the question. Will you be found out by God's mercy or by his judgment? 
Will you allow Christ to expose your sin and your hypocrisy and your pretending and then run to him to receive his abundant grace, mercy, and forgiveness pressed down, shaken together, and running over? What a blessed thing it is to be found out by the mercy of God. What a blessed thing it is to be found out by His mercy. To have your sin and your hypocrisy be met with forgiveness, not with judgment. If you're here and and you've been convicted of your sin and your hypocrisy, it's not too late, brothers and sisters. If you've been a fraud, if you've been a hypocrite, this passage is Christ's mercy to you. Turn in faith to Christ. When you trust in Christ, you don't have to pretend anymore. That heavy weight that you've been carrying is off your shoulders. Aren't you tired of carrying it? When you come to Christ, He takes your sin, the weight of it, the weight of your sin, the weight of your hypocrisy, the weight of your judgmentalism, the the weight of your religious formalism. He takes the weight of that sin and he nails it to the cross saying, paid in full. Nothing to overcompensate for. Nothing to hide from. Nothing to pretend about. Don't you want that? It's paid in full. Last year as we were getting ready to sell our house in Jacksonville, I noticed that on one corner of the house the the foundation was beginning to get exposed by some erosion. So I did what any responsible homeowner would do and I covered it up. I bought as many rocks as I could from Lowe's and I just covered up the, the, the area with rocks and uh, covered up the area that was exposed. Job well done. Friends, the temptation with a difficult passage like this that exposes our foundation and exposes our hearts is to move on as quickly as possible in our hearts, to move on and just forget about it this week and, and cover up quickly the part that's been exposed. I would encourage you rather to press into this passage this week. To press into it and meditate on it in prayer. Consider where you need to repent. Consider where you need to ask for Christ to change your heart. And consider if it's possible that you don't know Christ. Maybe for the first time, come to Him in saving faith. Stand on Christ, the solid rock of your salvation. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we praise and we thank you for this challenging, merciful word to us. Thank you that you have not left us to ourselves, that by your grace you expose our hearts. You expose, Lord, the foundation that we stand on. Show us our sin, Father. 
Show us our hypocrisy. Show us our judgmentalism. Drive us to Christ in repentance and faith. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may bear much fruit. Father, give us a heart like Christ, a heart filled with grace and mercy. Do this in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.